Good morning, everybody. It is so wonderful to see you here. For those visiting for the first time, a special welcome to all of you. My name is Tim Park. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for being here on this Sunday morning. For those joining us online or out on the patio, we always appreciate you joining us as well. Uh, I want to share with you, we had a great 9 o'clock service. And in our 9 o'clock service, we were able to witness the dedication of a precious little boy. Now, here at our church, when we have dedication services, it's important that we let everyone know that the parents are dedicating not only their child, but they're dedicating themselves to raising their child in a home that honors God so that their child will have every possible opportunity to grow up and love Jesus. So in our first service, we got to witness the dedication of Jonathan and Cindy Tran and their handsome, precious little son, Oliver. Take a look at Oliver. <laughs> Is that not like the cutest face? And he always smiles like that for us every Sunday morning. So we had a special service at our 9 o'clock hour, and so we wanted to share that good news with you. Before we open God's Word, I just want to share personally, next Sunday I will not be here. Next Sunday I will actually be on the streets of Chicago. I'll be running in the uh, Chicago Marathon a week from today. And uh, thank you. And, And there's a really encouraging story behind that. This will be my third Chicago Marathon. My first one was back in 2017. That was five years ago this October. And five years ago, and just before that time, God was doing a work in my life. And some of you know the story that, you know, for many, many years, for most of my adulthood, I had this debilitating anxiety that I could not get on an airplane. And so I could not fly for many, many years of my life. And God started to transform my health uh, physically, emotionally, mentally. And, and so uh, I had qualified for the Chicago Marathon for 2017, I thought, well, we can't really drive there, so uh, I have to get on an airplane. (laughs) But God allowed me to overcome that anxiety. And so that was my first uh, time on a plane in many, many years. And so this will be my third time back to Chicago to run the marathon. And that'll be a a week from today. Joanne and I will be on a plane Friday. I'll run the race Sunday morning, and we'll be back on a plane that night. So hopefully I won't be dead. And uh, now... Chicago is two hours ahead of Los Angeles, and so by this time next week, hopefully I'll be close to finishing, hopefully. And if you want, you can actually track me, you can track my progress, and you can download an app for the Chicago Marathon. If you want to know how to do that, come see me afterward. And it's really cool, you can actually see me in the GPS signal of me just running all the streets of Chicago. So next Sunday when you're here, would you pray for me? Think of me and pray that all the uh, agony of marathon running will be uh, subdued. So that's next Sunday. Well, today we have an important message as we continue in our series. The title of this morning's message is Crushed in the Garden for You and Me. Crushed in the Garden for You, all of you, and for me. We'll be in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 52. This is a long chapter, and we're going to cover many verses today. For those visiting for the first time, we are in a lengthy series called Servant King, the Gospel of Mark. And this has been a very special series as we have been diving into God's Word. What I'm going to do is this. 
I'm going to read our passage in its entirety. It's a long passage. And so as I read it, just ask God to uh, keep you focused. Because sometimes, you know, what happens to me is when we read a long passage, my mind starts to wander. So just ask God as we read this passage to keep you focused on his word. We'll read the passage, I'll pray for us, and then we'll see what God has to show us in his word. Mark 14, starting in verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Would you bow with me? Father, as we dive into your word this morning, God, would you change our hearts, transform them, help us to look more like Jesus, help us to live for him today and every day. We pray in his name. Amen. As I said last Sunday, as we go through the final three chapters of Mark's gospel, my prayer is that every Sunday when we leave this place, that we will have a greater appreciation for what Jesus did on the cross for us, and that we would have a greater love for him. 
and that we would have a greater desire to live for him and to be like him. I'm going to tell you up front that this is a tough passage. This is the darkest moments of Jesus' earthly life. And these will be the loneliest moments of Jesus' earthly life. If you want to understand the humanity of Jesus, look no further than Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 35. Jesus is literally in the final moments of his freedom. He will soon be arrested illegally. He'll be bounced around from one courtroom to another illegally through the night. And then he will be sent to the cross. And all this will take place in a span of hours. That's it. Hours. And as Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was there with 11 of his 12 disciples. This is just moments after he shared the Last Supper with his 12 disciples. And, by the way, in the garden, it was his final opportunity to walk away. He had every opportunity to walk away from the cross. You see, the Garden of Gethsemane was located on the eastern edge of the city of Jerusalem. If you have Jerusalem right here, you've got the temple right here, the garden was right here on the eastern edge. All Jesus had to do was walk two miles over the Mount of Olives into the small town of Bethany, where his friends were. Jesus, that night that he was in the garden, he could have easily just walked away to safety and to the comforts of his friends in Bethany. Here's a photo of the Garden of Gethsemane as we see it today. It's a national place that you can visit. Some of you have been there. It's a beautiful garden. It's no wonder that Jesus often went to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. There's something special about gardens, right? There's something about walking into a garden. It just soothes the soul. We here in Southern California, we have our share of beautiful gardens. Descanso Gardens, Huntington Library, L.A. Arboretum, the Getty. The list goes on and on. Some of you have beautiful gardens in your backyards. When you're in the middle of a garden, something about it soothes the soul. Now, we're going to talk more about gardens at the end of our message. But on that Thursday evening, the night that Jesus would be betrayed, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. But that night, it was anything but beautiful. It was past 10 p.m. It was actually almost midnight. They had no nice street lamps to light up the trees. They had no uplighting to make it look beautiful. It was dark, pitch dark. And there he was in the middle of a scary 
eerie garden at nighttime. Now, it's important for us to know the meaning of the word Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press. So Jesus was in the garden of the olive press. Here's an image of what an olive press might have looked like back then. You see that massive stone wheel. They call that a crushing wheel. And as it was rolled over the olives, it would pulverize, crush, and squeeze every last bit of oil from the olives. There's a reason why Jesus' final moments of freedom were spent in the garden of the olive press where there was a crushing wheel. It's important to know that Jesus would spend his final moments being crushed emotionally, mentally, for you and for me. That's why Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We read that Jesus was in utter agony. Did you know that Jesus dreaded the cross? You don't hear that often. But please don't think for a moment that Jesus casually went to the cross. He dreaded the cross. Over the centuries, artists have painted scenes of Jesus in the garden praying to God. And these paintings are beautiful. These artists, they are brilliant. They are so skilled. And yet, if you look at the vast majority of paintings showing the scene of Jesus praying to God, they actually don't show the accuracy of what took place in the garden. Here's a painting, a, a famous painting by a famous artist showing Jesus in the garden. And look at Jesus, hands neatly folded on a rock, looking up to God in what appears to be a very almost serene look. We just read that Jesus fell to the ground. He didn't casually or carefully kneel at a rock. He fell to the ground, which means the more accurate picture was Jesus on his elbows, his hands, his knees, his chest, his face to the ground in agony. His agony was so intense that Luke, in his gospel, tells us that he began to sweat blood. There's a very rare medical condition. It's called hematidrosis. It's a real rare medical condition where the sweat of a person in such intense agony can be filled with blood. And this condition that's been studied, it shows that that condition is often preceded by the most intense headaches. And for those of you who've suffered migraines, you know, 
You know what a migraine feels like, and you can empathize. You get a glimpse of what Jesus must have gone through in the garden. And so Jesus, in all his humanity, in the garden of Gethsemane, in the garden of the olive press, in the garden of the crushing wheel, he agonized over what was about to come. In his humanity, Jesus struggled with the very thought of having to endure the cross. So that, so much so that he cried out, if it is possible, and he says, Abba, Father, I know it's possible. How much agony must Jesus have been in for him to pray a prayer like that to his own heavenly Father? God, please take this cup from me. I cannot bear it anymore. And I have to imagine in a room like this, throughout your life, at one time or another, I imagine, maybe some of you have said to yourself or thought to yourself, I can't handle this anymore. I would rather die. Well, guess what? That's what Jesus said. He says, I am overwhelmed. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. God, I cannot handle, I cannot bear this pain any longer. But then he says, not my will. Your will be done. And when he prayed this prayer, he wasn't praying silently. You know, in the Hebrew culture, it was customary to pray out loud, audibly. People would not pray silently. And we know that Peter, James, and John, they heard Jesus pray as they were just a little ways away. So Jesus prayed this prayer audibly. Not what you will, but what, not what I will, but what you will. You see, whenever it came to his own human needs, Jesus always operated within the limits of his humanity. He always submitted to the will of the Father. Please understand, he did not want to be in that garden, humanly speaking, but he submitted himself to the will of the Father. That's why our ultimate example is Jesus. In everything, it's Jesus. We want to be like Jesus in everything. And if you want to be like Jesus, and who here does not, right? If we want to be like Jesus, then guess what? Look no further than to his prayer life. If you want to be like Jesus, pray like Jesus. Now, speaking of prayer, this is a good time for me to share with you that our church is going to experience something together at the end of this month. It's called a week of prayer. So I want you to mark in your calendars from October 24th to the 28th. That's Monday through Friday, five consecutive days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're going to open up our worship center at 6 a.m. I heard some, ooh, oh, from all the night people. We're going to gather together inside our worship center Monday through Friday from 6 to 7. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray corporately as a church. 
And we want to give you the opportunity. We want to invite you right now to come join us every morning, Monday through Friday, if your schedules allow. If you are a night person and not a morning person, between now and then, pray that God will make you a morning person for one week. But come out on one of those days or a couple of those days or all five of those days. Come here. We're going to share prayer requests. We want to hear your prayer requests. We want to pray for one another. Families, parents, maybe some of you might be led by the Spirit to come as a family. Get your kids ready extra early. Come, pray together as a family, and then drop them off at school. Come before work. Come pray, and then head off to work. Life groups, maybe some of you might be led by the Spirit to come as a life group on one or more of those days. Come out and pray. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity to start off your day with prayer. And I don't know about you, but when I'm done praying, I just feel so well filled with the Spirit. And so it's going to be a powerful week. But we're not going to be done on Friday morning. Because that evening, Friday evening, October 28th, right back here, we're going to gather for a night of prayer and worship. So we're going to culminate that week with a night of prayer and worship where we're going to come together, we're going to lift our voices in song together as we worship God, we're going to pray together, we're going to hear you testify about what God's been doing in your life. We'll give you an opportunity to come up here and share and testify how God's been answering your prayers. We're going to give you an opportunity to come up here and share a prayer request and then have you be prayed for by your church family on the spot. Come on out here. Mark your calendars. Bring your kids too because our preschoolers, they will gather for their own special gathering. Our K through 5th graders will have their own gathering that evening as well. So come out and let's pray together. And I believe this, and I am confident of this, that God is going to enrich our lives individually and corporately as a church, that he's going to answer prayers. He's going to change lives. And so I look forward to seeing you here on that week. So mark your calendars. We'll give you more details in the coming weeks. If we want to be more like Jesus, let's pray like Jesus. Let's align our will with God's. I want to go back to our passage again. Go back to verse 33. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here and keep watch. So here we see Jesus' Jesus's inner circle. Peter, James, and John. Remember, they were there with Jesus on the mountaintop. And they saw him being transfigured in all his glory. And now Jesus invites them to go with them. You see, the others were there at the edge of the garden and he took Peter, James, and John a little bit further with him. There's a reason why. Humanly speaking, did you know that Jesus needed his friends next to him? He wanted his friends next to him. 
Jesus was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he wanted his friends, those closest to him, to be next to him. Again, that speaks to the humanity of Jesus. You know, nobody wants to suffer alone, right? That's why in hospitals, if you or a loved one is having surgery, if you or a loved one is in the hospital, it's important. It's important to have a loved one just next to you, just sitting with you, not even saying a single word, but just your presence there is so important. Because nobody wants to suffer alone. So Jesus called Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, to go with him. And he said, stay here and keep watch. So then Jesus went to pray. When he said, stay here and keep watch, usually when you say, okay, keep a lookout. Usually what that means is, okay, when the enemy is approaching, come get me so I can run and hide. Or come get me so I can get ready to battle. It was neither of these cases for Jesus. You know why he said, stay here and keep watch to Peter, James, and John? It's because he wanted to know when Judas and the others were coming so that he would actually approach them. It was important that he go to them. That's because Jesus was prepared to move to the cross. Again, he did not want to go to the cross, but he knew it was the will of the Father. In his darkest moments, Jesus submitted himself to the Father's will. Now, just moments earlier, do you remember Peter? We talked about this last week. He said to Jesus, I will die for you. Even if all the others fall away, if all the others fail you, I will never disown you. I will die for you. And yet, Peter could not even stay awake. Peter, James, and John, they fell asleep at the job. Three times Jesus went back and found them asleep on the job. And of course, three would be a significant number, especially for Peter. Now, as agonizing as the garden experience was for Jesus, there's hope and encouragement for us here today. And the hope is this. Isn't it true that when we come across somebody who is going through hardship, if we've gone through that same hardship, we can empathize with them on a deeper level than if we had never gone through that hardship? That's why support groups are so impactful. When we've gone through a hardship and we come across someone else who is going through that hardship, we are eager and ready to empathize on a much deeper level. Well, guess what? Whatever hardship you're going through right now, 
And many of you are going through some of the darkest hardships. Even if you think no one else in the world understands, please know this. Jesus does. Jesus understands what you're going through. This past week, uh, I came across this uh, quote. One pastor said this, uh, there are no cliches in Christianity. You know, we often say that Jesus knows your pain. That might sound like a cliche. He said, there are no cliches in Christianity, only underappreciated truths. Jesus understands what you're going through. In your loneliest, darkest hours, please know that Jesus bore that in the garden. He literally had the weight of the entire world on his shoulders in the garden. He faced your weaknesses. He faced my weaknesses. There's a profound verse in Hebrews chapter 4. Take a look up here. Verse 15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. If you've ever reached a point of utter despair in your life, please know that Jesus experienced that exact same feeling. Again, we read the words, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I want to talk about that phrase for a moment. My soul is overwhelmed. It's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This phrase is actually found in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, Psalm 42 and 43 to be exact. And what's fascinating about this phrase, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, what's so fascinating about this phrase is that there are only two people in the entire Bible who refer back to this phrase. Jesus was one. Jonah was the other. I'm going to survey a few verses in Psalm 42. You can look up here on the screen. In Psalm 42, in verses 1 and 2, it says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And then verse 7 says this, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. And then in verse 11, it says this, Why, my soul, are you downcast? In other words, why are you in despair? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Jesus, when he said, My soul is overwhelmed with sadness and sorrow to the point of death, he had in mind Psalm 42 and also 43. Now, here's what Jonah had to say in Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. 
From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Jonah says, from deep in the depth, the realm of the dead. In Psalm 42, we read the words, deep calls to deep. That's a, we actually see that phrase in many praise songs today, deep calls to deep. And we actually think it's a, a positive thing. It's actually not. Deep calls to deep refers to the crashing waves of the ocean pounding you one after another with no relief. In other words, it's one hardship after another. Jonah was facing hardship. He was inside the belly of a sea creature. That's a hard place to be in. But how did he get there? Well, because he disobeyed God, right? God said, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to the Ninevites so they would repent. Jonah hated the Ninevites, and for good reason. So he ran the other way. And then eventually he got on a boat. He was thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish. The fish spit him out on land. He went up on a hill, and he was waiting and ready for God to destroy the Ninevites. But guess what? The Ninevites repented. Oh, and all the while, God provided a plant to grow and provide shade for Jonah. So there sat Jonah under this shaded plant, enjoying the comforts. But then eventually the plant dies, and Jonah is angry. He's angry at God. He's angry at God because the Ninevites repented, and God saved the Ninevites, and he was angry because God took his shade away from him. You know what? Jonah only cared about his comforts. So here's the thing about Jonah. Did you know that Jonah stands as a type of Christ? Jonah was a type of Christ. It's just that he was the counterexample to Christ. He was the opposite of Jesus. And I'm going to compare the two here for a minute. Jonah did not want to preach to a rebellious people. Jesus died for a rebellious people. Jonah ran the other way. Jesus went voluntarily to the cross. Jonah was angry to the point of death. Jesus was grieved by our sins to the point of death. Jonah wanted the Ninevites to die and he wanted comforts for himself. Jesus was nailed to a cross. Both Jesus and Jonah referenced the Psalms, but their attitudes could not have been further apart. It would have been so easy for Jesus to walk the other way, like Jonah did. But when the moment came, he said to his disciples, Get up, here comes my betrayer. And he went forward to the betrayer. But this is important now. He did not go to fight them. Peter, on the other hand, he was ready to fight, right? He was so ready, he drew his sword and he cut off the ear of a servant. Mark doesn't tell us it was Peter. He just says, one of those standing by. But John's gospel says it was Peter. And then Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus said, enough, no more of this. And then he miraculously healed the man's ear. 
Remember last week we said that Peter was ready to go out in a blaze of glory? I'm going to take a bullet for you, Jesus. I'm going to die for you. And we celebrate people like that. We, we celebrate heroes like that. Oh, wow, he's a man's man. But what Peter failed to do was embrace the shame of following Jesus. He, along with all the other disciples, would have to learn this. He would have to learn to die to himself. The hardest thing that you and I, you and I will ever do in our lives is to die to self. And let me put that into practical terms, what that means. What it means to die to self. It means that if you have a loved one who is trying your patience, who doesn't seem to be progressing in life, or maybe a loved one who needs medical assistance, and you find yourself short with that person, losing patience, getting angry, dying to self means you continue to serve that person. It's the hardest thing to do. Dying to self means if a friend betrays you, wrongs you, and hurts you in the most unimaginable way, you die to self and forgive that person. It's the hardest thing we will ever have to do. Peter was ready to go out in a blaze of glory. He had to learn to die to self. Jonah wanted comforts for himself. He's a counterexample to Jesus. Now here's the sad part about this passage. In the end, all the disciples abandoned Jesus. Look at verse 50 again. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. I'll touch upon those last two verses. Verses 51 and 52, that's an odd way to end a passage. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. Then, uh, well, he fled naked. It's an odd way to end this section. This is only recorded in Mark's gospel. Not in any of the other gospels. Only in Mark's gospel do you see these two verses. Which has led some scholars to uh, believe that that young man was Mark himself. And that's very likely. It's like Mark made a cameo in his own gospel. You know, much like John in his gospel, remember John? He never names himself. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so it's very possible that this is Mark. Mark belonged to this very faithful, prominent Christian family. He lived right there in the area. So it's possible that this was him. But again, verse 50 is the focus. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Remember, Jesus said, you will all fall away. 
He was alone in the garden. At the beginning of our time, I said that we talk more about gardens. We just said that Jonah was a type of Christ. He was the counterexample of Christ. There's another type of Christ in the Old Testament that I want to touch upon. And that other type of Christ was also in a garden. It's called the Garden of Eden. Adam was also a type of Christ. But like Jonah, he was also a counterexample of Christ. I just compared Jonah with Jesus. Let me take a moment to compare Adam with Jesus. Adam was in the Garden of Eden. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that Gethsemane means olive press, crushing. Eden means luxury. So Adam lived in the garden of luxury and pleasure. Jesus agonized in the garden of the olive press. Adam was tempted in the garden, and he gave in to that temptation. Jesus, he too was tempted in the garden of Gethsemane to lessen his pain, to lessen the severity. But he moved forward to the cross. Did you also know that Adam's curse is connected to Jesus on the cross? Adam's curse is connected to Jesus on the cross. You see, God said to Adam, the ground would produce thorns and thistles. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was forced to wear a crown of thorns. In other words, Jesus took the curse of all creation and he wore it on his head. Adam, like Christ, represents all of humanity. In other words, Adam's actions are those of all of us. Jesus represents all of humanity and that those who put their faith in him benefit from his actions. Please understand this. Not for one second did Jesus enjoy the Garden of Gethsemane. Not for one second. Humanly speaking, he dreaded the Garden. But he went there because of a joy. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus endured the cross and he despised the shame. Why? Because there's a joy that surpasses that shame. That's why the author says, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. You know what it means to despise shame? He said, shame? I don't like you. Embarrassment, I don't like you, but I will go through it because there is a greater joy that awaits me. So the joy set before Jesus gave him the strength to endure the shame and humiliation of the cross. 
If you're going through hardship in your life right now, I want to send you off with some practical application. I know many of you are going through hardship of all kinds. Please know that even if it feels like no one else knows, Jesus does because he suffered in the garden for us. And the practical application is this, that we can have the courage to go through our trials and our hardships. We don't know why we have those trials, but we know that through those trials, God is purifying us. He is refining us. So we can have the courage to go through those trials knowing that Jesus was crushed in the garden for us. Because of that, we can trust in him and know that God has a reason for the suffering we go through.